Aero Precision pushes the boundaries for modern sporting rifle builds and machines receivers from custom forgings for added strength and durability. Aero Precision delivers top quality American-made products at an affordable price. AeroPrecisionUSA.com. All right, back with you, Tom Gresham. It is gun talk because we, well, talk about guns. That's what we do here. If you'd like to join us, it's pretty easy. The number is 866-TALK-GUN. Just let us know what you want to talk about. I mean, it's pretty much open lines. There are only a few things that we won't really get into. First of all, it's got to be about guns in some form or fashion or gun rights. The other is that we don't talk about doing stupid stuff. I mean, we'll talk about making mistakes with my click bang. I already told my story on myself. I did get my deer, but I got a click before I got the bang. <laughs> that was earlier this week. Uh, but other than that, yeah, join us. It's 866-TALK-GUN. This week was important. This week, finally, finally, because it's been years, we've been trying to get important Second Amendment cases before the United States Supreme Court. And they've been rejected for one reason or another. Sometimes, oftentimes, we don't really know why. But this week, we had the oral arguments for the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association case, challenging the licensing scheme that New York has for carry permits. Basically, a way that works is you apply for a permit and you get denied, period. That's it. Unless you are well-connected or wealthy and can pay somebody a lot of money or give somebody a Rolex and, or whatever it takes. A lot of reports of different things like that. Major case. Uh, it was fascinating to listen to it and helping me to explain it or actually to explain it to me to figure out what happened there and try to clear some of the muddy waters. Don Kilmer is a, a law professor, a lawyer specializing many times in uh, civil rights and Second Amendment cases. Don, welcome. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Congratulations on your harvest this, this week. <laughs> yes, indeed. That's uh, all in the freezer now. So uh, that's the fun part. I like getting it, I like cutting it up, and then I like cooking them. So I do the whole thing, the oh. field of fork. Oh, you so, all right. Well, you know, uh, let's, did, let's, did you listen to the, I, I imagine at this point, you listened to the oral arguments. I, I did. I didn't listen to it in real time, but I did listen to it, the recording afterwards. Uh, I usually like to... Uh, uh, wait until they actually produce the transcript so I can read along with listening to it. But oh, that's, uh, good idea. That's because I'm a, and now for your for your listeners' edification, it's it's case number twenty dash eight forty three. So that and that's important if you want to go onto the U.S. Supreme Court's website. It's a it's a U.S. dot it's a dot gov website. Everybody in the country has access to it. So you can get these documents, you can get a copy of the transcript, and you can download the audio recording of the, uh, of the oral arguments yourself and read along and listen to it. Uh, now, there may not be as many nerds in your audience as, as, as I am, but for, for folks like me, this was the Super Bowl, the Stanley Cup, and the Absolutely. World Series all up into one. Absolutely. I mean, and I, was, I listened to it real time. Uh, and I, okay. I love the idea of going back and doing it with the transcript because there are clearly things you miss when it's going by because sometimes I was going, wow, it's like I wanted the crowd to cheer several times. It's like, holy cow, did you see that? It's like watch the yeah. football game. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you one thing. My, uh, Let me give you a gut level, almost uh, theater critics takeaway from this. Okay. Uh, if you, uh, is is. I was 
I'm always impressed with Paul Cement's work. I mean, the man is a, is a stellar uh, at oral argument. Reading his briefs is like is like reading uh, uh, clarity itself. Well, let's uh, explain. So, Paul Clement was a former uh, U.S. Solicitor General, and he was the one arguing the case for the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Uh, Mr. Clement is uh, is is a true uh, almost artist when it comes to uh, you know, these kinds of uh, arguments and these kinds of high profile cases. But, the, but when when the folks your folks get to your audience gets to listen to this in the audio, uh, or even you cannot pick up a little bit on it in in just reading the the transcripts itself. The uh, the almost mental. Uh, chaos that I was getting from the other side. Oh, Barbara Underwood was. That when you listen to it, Barbara Underwood was completely unprepared. The Solicitor General for New York, she was out of her depth from the moment she opened her mouth. Yeah, it's almost as if uh, she 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 was like a, a wave of her hand with uh, you know uh, don't trifle me with with things like the Second Amendment, and, and she couldn't be bothered to be prepared for the case. Now, yes. the other fellow, the, the U.S. Solicitor General, arguing by, by permission, uh, he, was, he was an effective advocate. Uh, he was wrong, but he was an effective advocate at least. But Miss Underwood got, I mean, she literally got called out on this. There's this kind of controversy, and I, I know this might be kind of wonky for your audience, but this, this Northampton statute, what they're talking about here is in in England uh, before United States was even a, a a sparkle in anybody's eye had a statute that was passed by a, a king. Um, I have to look at my history book for notes to know exactly which one it was. But it basically, it was a statute that said writing about the country uh, with unusual weapons or even un, even common and ordinary weapons that was in a in a means or a way that was intended to terrify people uh, was illegal. Okay, that's the, that's the gist of the statute of Northampton. Well, we have, we have a statute just like that today. It's called brandishing, okay? Mm-hmm. You, you cannot use weapons to intimidate or frighten people. If you're, if you're carrying a weapon for self-defense, there is a, there's obviously a way to do that, and, and, uh, and if, you, if you do it wrong, you can be prosecuted for it, just like you could uh, could in modern in, in any in the state of Idaho where we live, okay, uh, one of the freest states in the country when it comes to exercising your Second Amendment rights, you still you still be prosecuted if you're drunk mm-hmm. and brandishing a weapon and scaring people on the city streets. Okay, but they keep the other side now wants to cite the statute of Northampton because they've latched on to this text history tradition of the Second Amendment, which where they think the Supreme Court is coming going on how to interpret it. And they think that, well, the farther back they reach in history, the, the more credibility their arguments will have. So what they end but, up doing is they end up cherry-picking the, the statute of Northampton. Well, well more than death. that, and if you leave out an important word, you get caught on it, don't you? Well, that's, that was, now that's what gets me to the next point, is that not, so they're, they're relying on the statute of Northampton, and then uh, what, the, what the state did, the state of New York did, in citing... Uh, some some sort of pedigree for its law that oh this is a long-standing law it's existed forever it's no big deal nothing to see here move on was that they cited these um, uh, founding era legal reference guides for le- for sheriffs and cited in the government's brief and just as Alito actually called out uh, hmm. uh, 
Attorney General Underwood on this. Well, your brief says that the, the legal reference guide says, quote, arrest all such persons as in your sight shall ride or go armed. They've taken that to mean that, see, there's always been a law in, in America, even since the revolution and even before the revolution, that said it was, it was allowable for the government to arrest people who went armed. And then Justice Alito pointed out to her, except you left out a word. Yep. Uh, you left out the word offensively. Offensive. You shall arrest. The, the actual uh, uh, legal text is, you shall arrest all such persons as in your sight shall write or go armed offensively. And her argument, her counter to that, instead of just saying, well, I guess we blew our brief. I guess I made a first-year law student mistake, and I would get <laughs> thrown off of the law review if I did something like that, is right. to say, well, well, guns are offensive. Well, and Alito comes back and says, but the argument you're making is what it actually says is exactly the opposite of what you're saying. I mean, he called her out yeah. right there on it. Yeah, this is this is something that has frustrated me and other Second Amendment litigators to no end. And that is that the legal scholarship on Second Amendment briefs has to be perfect. It has to be perfect. Yet there is all manner of of sloppiness and slapdash work that is done by lawyers, uh, government lawyers on the other side, that, that judges will forgive, that judges will uh, accept, that judges... The interesting thing is, is that uh, one of my, a couple of my colleagues, uh, George uh, uh, Moxery and, and Dave Coppell, wrote a, just published a law review article this summer about the exact same mistakes that were made in the Ninth Circuit's opinion in Young versus Hawaii, where... Uh, legal citations were truncated, uh, where uh, statutes were interpreted that didn't mean what they what they said they meant. If you actually went to the original text, so um, this is some this is a battle, uh, not just for uh, the Second Amendment. It's also a battle for, in some ways, judicial integrity. Not now. I do not mean to imply that all lawyers defending government laws, or even lawyers yeah. that I oppose in court. Are, are bad guys, okay? But well, there's a certain tolerance by the courts for, for sloppy scholarship on some of this stuff. Okay, you're, you're calling it sloppy scholarship. Uh, you have to play in that world because you are a law professor and a litigator. I call it lying and cheating. So there you go. No comment, no comment brother. <laughs> you Hold on to that thought, Don Kilber. <laughs> we're, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll come back, and then I'm going to get your take on, okay, what actually happened here and what is actually at stake? What do you, I mean, we'll go ahead and read the tea leaves, and we'll step out there, and at least I'll make the prediction. I don't know if he will. 866-TALK-GUT. Yeah, lying and cheating is what it is. He can't say it, but I can. Introducing the new R7 Mako, a high-capacity polymer frame striker-fired microcompact from Kimber. Here's a taste of what you get. 12 and 14 round total capacity with the 11 and 13 round magazines. The performance carry trigger with the smooth pull and clean break you'd expect of a single-action handgun. Optics ready or optics installed, Kimber's R7 Mako will feed your appetite for something different. See how at r7mako.com. 
Visit GunTalk.com to win GunTalk's lock and load giveaway for multiple chances to win. One grand prize winner will take home $1,000 in their choice of Remington ammunition and a lockdown prize pack with a handgun vault, a lockdown puck, and more. Plus, four additional winners will also receive lockdown prize packs that include handgun vaults, pucks, gun safe lighting, shirts, cups, and more. Enter now through November 26th at GunTalk.com slash win. Before computers, before engines and automobiles and roads, before all of this, there was the land, a great ocean of land with mountains black as night, standing guard over all that is and was and forever will be. This is the Black Hills of South Dakota, the place that made the people who make the best ammo on earth. Visit black-hills.com for more information. I want to spend a little bit more time on this because this is a very important case. This case is at least as important as the Heller decision, I think, uh, the case that was argued before the United States Supreme Court uh, on Wednesday of this week. We're talking with Don Kilmer, law professor, litigant, uh, knows this stuff. Don, one of the things that hit me as I was listening to this was Chief Justice Roberts, who has been somewhere between iffy and maybe not even strong on the Second Amendment, he was going at uh, Underwood on some of this stuff, and he was sounding like a Second Amendment guy. That that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, that uh, uh, when you talk about trying to make a prediction of, of how this is going to turn out, the, the, uh, the uh, this prediction becomes stronger that this will will favor uh, you know Paul Clement's client. Um, is is the fact that Justice Roberts was a so engaged and b seemed to be um, implying that uh, you know that uh, that New York has this wrong. He's not he's not necessarily I don't know if he's necessarily ready to say well you know every state should have shall issue like Idaho, but he I think he's ready to say something like New York's doing it wrong. Hmm. And in New York, I mean, going over the basics. To get your permit there, your carry permit, you have to show that uh, you have proper cause, which is almost never agreed upon by the bureaucrat who checks you out. And I did appreciate the fact that finally we have arguments before the Supreme Court where they're saying you would never do this for the First Amendment. It would be anathema to say you have to go to a bureaucrat and say, may I please have my First Amendment rights and they're saying, no, I'm sorry, you're just not worthy. You don't really have a good need for them. But yet they're doing it for the Second Amendment. To see them actually argue the two of those together, I was like cheering them on the whole way. Yeah, it, it's, it, and it's appropriate to cheer. But, uh, but keep in mind here, and here's the intellectual ammunition for your audience, the, the other side is always going to want to come back with, yes, but the First Amendment is regulated to or it's limited to. And they'll point to things like, parade permits or time, place, and manner restrictions so that, you know, if you want to have hold a rally, uh, you know, in a, in a park or something like that, it's, um, you know, you have to, you have to get the permit for the day or you want to hold a parade, sure. you know, you have to get a parade permit, but, but they miss the fundamental distinction. But the government in those regulations is not saying you can't exercise the right. The government is saying for you to exercise the right, we have to do something. We might have to have extra security. We might have to close some roads for a few hours. 
um, you know, or inform merchants that the street's going to be closed where you're going to have your parade. It's not that you can't have the parade. It's that it's that we have to plan it because you're going to be using city resources for it or something like that. And what they're going to try and do is analogize that in the Second Amendment. Well, you're using city streets, and therefore we uh. get to regulate the right. Well, that's where the permit comes in. The government mm-hmm. gets to step in and say, well, are you a, are you a felon? Uh, you know, are you a, a violent person? Okay, uh, do you have a history of mental illness? Because we need to know that before you get to exercise the right. It's not a opportunity for the government to deny the exercise of the right. It's an opportunity for the government to make sure that the right does not impact the rights of other people. Okay, as you you read the transcript, you listened to the oral arguments. Do you come away with a general sense or a feeling after all of this? I come away out very optimistically that that the court is going to say that New York is doing this wrong. Now, the specific remedy could be simply uh, um, strike down the New York law um, and uh, and and tell them they they need to do it better. The court could. Uh, remand it and say uh, there need to be findings of fact in the trial court. There needs to be uh, instructions issued on how this law, maybe a, a trial on whether the law can be implemented constitutionally and give New York a chance to, to justify, you know, could they enact regulations that would fix the statute. But I have a sneaking suspicion the U.S. Supreme Court is simply going to say this law is, um, is, is unconstitutional in the way that it allows absolute discretion to uh, local government officials to say whether somebody can actually exercise a fundamental right or not. This is not a, a regulation of a right uh, in a public space. This is a, um, a cancellation of a right or the conversion of a right, right. From, uh, to a, a, privilege. Right, a, right to a, a privilege or something. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that when people listen to this or read it, there are a few things there that if you're paying attention, you're going to get a chuckle or two, or maybe it's that whole head-shaking deal. When uh, Justice Breyer says, you mean anybody can have a gun, just can carry a gun just for fun? I'm thinking, what? Yeah. What did he just say? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know, some of this has to do, though, Tom, with people who, and, and uh, one of my other favorite social commentators, uh, uh, Victor Davis Hanson, comments on this a, a lot. That this is this is a an elitism that we get from people who live in a bubble. They don't mm. they don't go out in the real world. They don't uh, walk the city streets. They don't uh, uh, walk a country road or, or or very few people I know carry a gun for fun. Okay, they're no. heavy, they're bulky, um, right. uh, and, and and there is a tremendous responsibility that uh, I, I you know I have a right to exercise, um, but. Uh, uh, it's not the same thing as saying that it's it's necessarily fun. Now, when I'm out shooting at the range or plinking with friends or, or out hunting uh, or sighting in a new rifle or something, yeah, that is fun. Well, but no, you understand, of course, and I know you do, that he was, with that comment, he was being utterly dismissive of the whole concept. Yeah, he was being as dismissive as the New York Attorney General. That this Second Amendment is a frivolous, anachronistic argument. That's their. That's what. That's that's how they think, right. and that they really are exasperated with having to deal with the Second Amendment, which means it's they're like, exasperated. It's, it's with like they're saying, to... "Oh, this again? Yeah, are we still talking about this thing?" Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. So but, probably. But, but, but see, this is this is mm-hmm. what we this is what we mean when we say fundamental rights. If they're fundamental, that means we must always be on guard. We must always be vigilant for their protection. So yes, they should be talked about all the time, uh, and every time there's a even a threat of violation. So probably looking at uh, June would be my guess before we get a decision on this. Um, it could be, uh, could be as early as March, could be early as March, but, uh, you know, it, it depends on, um, on who ends up getting assigned to write the opinion. Uh, it depends on whether it's going to break down, uh, strictly as, uh, uh, you know, a majority opinion and, and dissent, or whether it's going to be a majority opinion, a concurring opinion and a dissent. Mm-hmm. Um, as we know, sometimes, uh, uh, Justice Thomas, uh, who I greatly, greatly admire and love hearing his voice uh, on the on the audio, it was terrific. Um, he, he sometimes takes a, a different look on things and 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 writes an interesting concurring opinion that itself is an, is informative and provides context. Well, what's at stake here, just so people understand, is that we have several states that are may issue states, where as opposed to the shall issue, we have forty three states that are shall issue. And what they're saying right. is that these, these other seven states, uh, they're going to become, like, shoot them up to Wild West and everything else because they're, they're going to end up being just like the other 43. So sh- May issue may end up going away. Don, I'm just flat out of time. Uh, you know, we could do this. Let's do it again, but just the two of us over a, a glass of brown liquid. How's that? Sounds good to me. All right. Don Kilmer, thank and you. Maybe, oh, and, t- and, maybe, and maybe some of that venison you got. Oh, okay. That's a deal. We'll make that happen, okay? Sounds good. All right. Look, thank you so much, and I really appreciate you. uh, You always help clear the muddy waters for me because I I need all the help I can get. (laughs) Take care, brother. You're too modest. Uh, You take care of yourself. Uh, Fascinating case. It is uh, important. It's as important, I think, honestly. It's the second half to the Heller decision. Keep and fair. We got keep with the Heller decision. Now we're going to get fair with this one. 866-TALK-GUM, Tom Gresham. What's on your mind? Welcome back. I'm continuing the thought, my reaction to the Supreme Court case that we heard on Wednesday. You can go download the audio. You can download the transcript. I like the idea of actually reading the transcript while you're listening to the audio. That would be great. Um... Some of the other things that came out of this, it was interesting, and it goes back to what uh, Don Kilmer was just talking about, how some of these folks are very much the elites. They don't live in the real world. I mean, they think they do. Everybody thinks they do, but I mean, they don't, they never walk through a bad part of town. They never walk down a country road. They never had a, a car run out of gas or had to fix a flat tire somewhere in the middle of the night, somewhere. Um one of the words that kept popping up, which was interesting, is that uh, Barbara Underwood, arguing for New York, arguing for their scheme of keeping guns out of the hands of law-abiding people, she kept using the word proliferate. You know, well, if we do that, then guns will multiply, and they'll be carried by a lot of people, then we will have guns proliferating. And on the, at first you think, well, that's an odd word. And then, oh, stop, wait, wait, wait. 
No, that's a word with a real specific meaning and a real specific context. And in the world of the elites, the arms proliferation treaties internationally and globally are very important to them. Getting rid of, of guns and arms, because more guns equals bad things, basically. Fewer guns is better, more guns is worse. And, and the idea that she would talk about, well, if the American people are actually not prohibited from having guns to protect themselves, because it's not about allowing, you understand. It's about the government prohibiting this. Because we have the right, unless they prohibit it. She's saying that, well, if we don't prohibit it, then there will be more guns. More people will use guns and have guns for self-defense. And then we will have a proliferation of firearms. They equate in their heads you and me having guns with terrorist organizations or rogue nations having arms. They just do. It's who they are. It's where they are. And it's why they're so dismissive of the very idea. Because to them, well, everybody understands that. Everybody knows that. Why are we even talking about silly little Second Amendment thing that you people keep talking about, you little people. And let me just tell you, she got called up short several times by the justices. Uh, one of the things that she was saying, well, you know, I guess it'd be okay to have a permit to carry a gun if you lived in a rural area, but not if you're in a more populated area. And you could kind of tell the justices are going, wait, there's more crime in the populated areas. And so the comment from one of the justices was, um, let me get this right, says, how many muggings take place in the forest? <laughs> and she was just nonplussed. She could not understand point being made, couldn't comprehend that people would, and somebody said, well, she said, well, if you did that, then people would have guns on the subways. And one of the justices said, there are already people with guns on the subway. And she had no idea what he was talking about. None whatsoever. No concept that bad people are already carrying guns and all you're doing is prohibited good people from being able to protect themselves with guns from the bad guys who have guns. It was fascinating. It really was. Really something else. Uh, let's see. Let's go up to line four. Garrett's with us out of North Carolina. Garrett, thank you for your call. Hey, Tom. Thanks for uh, answering. So I just wanted to call, and uh, I was reading this week that the Senate Republicans are demanding the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, H.R. 4350, be brought to the floor um, so they could vote on it. And I called a couple weeks ago, called to raise the red flag, saying, hey, this would essentially um, make red flag laws part of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Uh, and uh, I remember you said you didn't think it was going to pass. Uh, do you think that they would take that out of there with uh, two squishes, Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio, who are for red flag gun laws? Therein lies the question. Uh, and it all depends on, look. It's all about pressure. Who can apply pressure that's effective pressure to those people? Uh, 
can you get enough pressure on them to say, we, the veterans of the United States, the voting veterans, will basically, we will defeat you. We will send you down in flames in your next election if you do this. That's the only thing they understand. They don't care about it. Well, they care about money and they care about votes. And so if you don't have the money, you better be able to marshal the votes. And that's, you know, that's really what it's about. So I don't know. Um, but, I, you know, and I've had other, I mean, I've been seeing some of the senators saying, well, that's just not going to pass. We're not going to have that in there. But we've heard that before. They say that until the very last minute. And they go, oh, well, you know, it slipped through. Go, Oh, well, great. Thanks. Thanks for nothing, Jack. So, but I guess the, the point is, we have to put the pressure on people like that to make sure that they do what they're supposed to do. Tell you what, I got to scoot to the break here. Uh, We're up against it. Robert and John, I'm going to get to you as soon as we come back. Don't go anywhere. 866-TALK-GUN. I'm Tom Gresham, and this is Gun Talk. A passion for shooting and hunting has driven product innovation at Hodgson Powder Company since 1947. Innovations like black powder substitutes, muzzle-loading pellets, and smokeless powder features like anti-copper fouling agents or temperature insensitivity. A family business from the beginning, Hodgson Powder Company is the largest U.S. supplier of smokeless, black powder, and black powder substitute propellants and the leader in reloading data for enthusiasts and newcomers alike through the Reloading Data Center. Hodgson Powder Company, the gunpowder people. Carry comfortably without sacrificing capacity with Smith & Wesson's M&P Shield Plus. Designed for concealed carry, the M&P Shield Plus offers a 13 plus 1 extended magazine or a 10 plus 1 flush mount magazine. In a slim, micro-compact frame, the M&P Shield Plus 9mm is offered in a variety of configurations, including performance center models with optics cuts, upgraded sights, and more. The Shield Plus. Find yours at smith-wesson.com. Mental Health and Guns. At Walk the Talk America, we're working with both the mental health community and the gun industry. Created by a gun industry veteran, Walk the Talk America seeks to raise awareness and create change through suicide prevention and firearm safety without legislation. We strive to eliminate the prejudice that firearms and mental health face. For more information and to support Walk the Talk America, please visit walkthetalkamerica.org. At Lockdown, we love firearms in an effort to provide the necessities of everything a firearm owner needs, no matter their lifestyle. Lockdown has identified four unique types of firearms owners. Are you the trainer, the collector, the protector, or the explorer? Visit Lockdown.com to take the quiz and find out what type of firearm owner you are and learn how Lockdown can secure your lifestyle. Use the code GUNTALK10 for 10% off site-wide. Go talk to Robert. He's trying to do what everybody else is doing, trying to find some ammo. Hey, Robert, what are you looking for? The 3030 Winchester. All right. So where I've have you on, looked? I've been in Bullhead City, and Fort Mojave, northern Nevada. I called uh, Buffalo Ammo. I heard on your show in Idaho, mm-hmm. and they never called me back. And I was wondering, can I get a... Someone can send me the ammo and send it to my personal oh, yeah. mail well, handlers. Can, absolutely. They can mail ammo directly can to your house. Um, okay. He, he, well, what sure. I do, 
where I, and these days it's just where I start, is I start with ammoseek.com, A-M-M-O-S-E-E-K. Okay. Like like you're seeking ammo. I just put in right. 3030 there to see what I could find. And they have a bunch oh. of listings of people who have it. Now, oh, okay. there's one thing about it. They have it, but, man, ammo is just expensive. We're looking at like 2 and a half to $3 a round for 3030 ammo now. Wow. Wow. Uh, you know, and I've been buying uh, like 280 Ackley Improved, that kind of stuff. And it's 60 mm-hmm. to 70 to $80 a box. Wow. It's just, yeah. it just is, which is why a lot of people, mm-hmm. people who never thought about it are getting into reloading and people who gave it up are get, dragging their stuff back out in the garage and getting back into reloading now. Uh-huh. Right. But yeah, if you will go to ammoseek.com, I mean, I would love to tell you, you know, shop locally and you should, and I appreciate that you're doing that. But if they're just out, they're out. Um you might try things like Sportsman's Warehouse and Cabela's. Sometimes they have it, but you know they get hit. The other thing you can do is talk to the people at your gun stores and say, "When do you get your shipments?" And you know they may say, "Well, it's Tuesday morning." Say, "Well, if I'm here Tuesday morning at at nine when you open, they say, well, that'd be the best chance." And a lot of times you can find out when the ammo arrives and try it that way. But uh, you know, that's kind of going the hard way about it. If you can have it, I just, I've got to where now I'm just ordering ammo and having it shipped to me. You know, Brownells is a good place to go, brownells.com, and they have ammo, but I just checked and they don't have any 3030 listed right now. So it's just, here, here we are. I appreciate it, Robert. I, I wish you luck with it. Let me talk to John on five. He's in uh, Alabama. Hey, John, our results of the Virginia election. What was your reaction to that? Now I know, seeing how I think we are sort of like souls, that when that got finished, we were both grinning like a possum eating poo-poo. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, it was pretty interesting to watch the whole thing, and also to to watch. And I got to tell you, I take a weird, perverse delight in switching over to CNN and MSNBC and watching them losing their freaking minds over this. How can this be? You know, and the thing I heard over and over again, it's very interesting, is from the liberal media and from the liberal Democrats is, well, we know that the people want these programs. We just can't get it through. No, you can't get it through because people do not want these programs. But they, they don't understand that. When those clowns up there, and I'm talking about clowns that are normally like us, didn't go and vote, and Northam got elected. Immediately, oh, yeah. he said he'd sign all the gun laws they wanted to send him. Yep. And now we got a different breed of cat there, and we elect a black lady, a Spanish person, and I can't think of the other guy. Oh, yeah. And they're all tools of the <laughs> white supremacists. Winsome Sears is a Mar- United States Marine. She is from Jamaica. She served the United States Marine Corps, and she campaigned with a picture of her with an AR-15, and she is a black lady. And in in her acceptance speech, she says, I'm black, and I have been black all my life. I thought that was hilarious. And at the same time, somehow, you're right. They're saying, well, this is just another white supremacist. You're going. I love that lady. I'd bow and hug her around her neck. (laughs) 
<laughs> Absolutely. It just uh, I lay my else. sword at her feet. There you go. Something else, isn't it? It's great, John. Now, look, thank you for the call, sir. I appreciate that. Let's go to Joe in Shreveport, Louisiana on four. Hey, Joe, where are you going with that gun hey, in your hand? <laughs> What's that now? I said, where are you going with that gun in your hand? Yeah, well, I'm actually kind of driving down the Red River here listening to the gun talk. And, uh, okay. Thought I'd call you and give you a range report on some training, one-on-one training I had with Tiger McKee about a oh. month ago. And Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, ever since I've been listening to you, I've turned into a training fanatic. And uh, so I went and spent a day with Tiger and just, man, just really impressive with the uh, amount of detail and discipline he has. We didn't, like I said, didn't go but, but just a day. And we spent the time focused on his technique of con- uh, I've got a copy of his book, uh, mm-hmm. The Book of Two Guns. It's a great and, man, book. Man, that's really revealing into, as to what a disciplined approach he has had toward uh, the martial arts, particularly yes. the firearm. I think it is one of the great gun books that people don't know about. It's called The Book of Two Guns. But, okay, so Tiger McKee, did you go to uh, Alabama or did he travel to you? No, I traveled to him. Um, Gunnersville. Okay. Hey, what a beautiful area that is, too, around Gunnersville Lake. Oh, gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah. So, just uh, everything we did was slow. Uh, his tech, I've had some training in the past at other places that was high quality training. And so, his technique varied somewhat uh, from what I was accustomed to. But, you know, as you know, you've been to a lot of different trainers, and, and everybody has their style that they settle on. And, uh, there's nothing I would say that he does that's not right. Uh, it may be different, but right. it, he has a very cogent and, as I said, a very disciplined approach as to why he's doing what he does. I, I think Tiger is a natural-born teacher. I think he's just a really great instructor. He know, now Also, he knows the subject matter intimately, but I think he really knows how to teach. It, it was excellent. It was uh, just like I say, one day and. uh you know, I, it was. it's not cheap, but it's kind of like I heard a guy say one time, it's not how much something costs, it's what's the value. Well, there, there it is, and that's true with everything, isn't it? And once you try to figure that out, you start saying, I'm going to go where the value is, regardless of the cost. I mean, assuming you can afford it. I appreciate that. It's a great range report. Thank you, Joe. Tiger McKee, Shoot Right Academy. It's shootright.org, S-H-O-O-T-R-I-T-E. Dot org, if I remember right, or net, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, tigers, there are just people you meet, you go, wow, that is an impressive dude. And he, he's one of those, very unassuming, never blows his own horn, just echo instructor. Can't recommend him you know, too highly for that. 866-TALK-GUN. Gun Talk will be right back. All right, back with you here, 866-TALK-GUN. Let's go talk to Paul. He's in Palmer, Alaska. Hello, Paul. What's on your mind, sir? Hey, how you doing today? I, your caller earlier was talking about a, a, a Glock 29, um, and he didn't believe that the 220 hardcast bullets, that the gun would handle uh, the load or the pressure. I think, I think that's not an issue. I think most of the issues with the 220-grain hardcast and the Glocks have been, my understanding is, the rifling that Glock uses won't stabilize the 220 hardcast. And I think 
Hickok 45, I think, did a, did a video, a good video uh, in depth on that particular issue. And I think it's an issue of terminal stability. You know, you really want, you really want that bullet. If you, for instance, you're shooting a bear or any animal, you want it to drive straight through. And I think right. the issue is that once it, it, even if it does shoot accurately on paper, that it doesn't stabilize it uh, terminally. I wonder if it's not an issue of the twist rate, but an issue of the type of rifling, so the lead is not fully engaging and getting the twist going in that short barrel. Do you know? Right. I think that's the issue. Is it called a conical rifling? And I yep. think it's uh, uh, the the lead doesn't obturate in in the barrel completely. Obturate. Uh, what Great my word. understanding is, and I could be I could be wrong, but I believe. But that's pretty well. What I think most everyone who carries Glocks up here. They switch to lone wolf barrels. Yeah, uh, I just going to say, yeah. yeah, and lone wolf barrels are really good. They just drop in. It's, it's a piece of cake. Uh, and in fact, if you want to get really kind of weird and wonky on it, you could put a lone wolf barrel in there that's longer than the slide. <laughs> and it sticks out. Absolutely. Yeah, you get another yeah. inch of uh, velocity or something out of it. But kind of cool. Right. Or you could buy a Springfield 10 and not worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a bad way to go at all. You know, that is a, that's, that's the, not those, a bad way to go. <laughs> the, 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 the day those came out, I called and ordered one, and I purchased just, here's my credit card. I purchased one of those Springfields because I thought, you know, 15 rounds of 10 is not a bad thing at all. It's not a bad thing at all. Hey, yeah, I had one exactly. quick question for you. Sure, sure. The Sig Jury 277. What happened? Did they did COVID kill it, <laughs> or is it off the off the off the drawing board, it's or what, what of, happened with that? Kind of like it just went silent on us. I have to admit, I don't know. I haven't heard any news about it. Now the cross rifle is still out there, but I don't. I'm not hearing anything about that caliber uh, at all. It was like eighty thousand psi pressure on the two seven seven little short thing. Primarily designed to be a military cartridge, hoping to get a contract on that. Um, but I haven't seen, I'm just thinking in the last six to 12 months, I haven't seen anything about it. So yeah. I, I'll just, I'll ask the folks at SIG the next time I talk to them and see, you know, what's going on with the 277. This was supposed to be like the, the next great thing. Who knows? You know, I think I had a question on holsters also uh, for, for the, for his Glock. Um, uh, Diamond D leather makes both synthetic and leather holsters, uh, chest holsters for it. Also, Gunfighter Inc. makes a really nice holster that I what I use in my Springfield. And I also got a note from a guy in Alaska. He says, Man, Man Gear Alaska, M-A-N-G-E-A-R, yes, yes. mangearalaska.com. Yeah, and they're substantially cheaper than the two form ones I mentioned. <laughs> ah, okay. So you can check it out. If you're looking for a chest holster, you might take a look at Man Gear Alaska. I don't know the guys, but it recommended you know them, and uh, somebody else uh, sent me a note about it. So they, I love it. We get all the help from all these folks out there because I can't know all this stuff. And, you know, we just uh, we rely on our friends. Thank you so much. I appreciate the call, sir. Uh, we'll um, we'll chat about that. Uh, hey, John and Wasilla, I am up against the clock here. I'm not going to get you in. I'm going to hold you over. Don't go anywhere because uh, you're thinking along the same lines as I am. Also, when I come back, I want to tell you, I just saw this story. I hadn't heard of this. It's a new way of tricking people into carjackings, and it's one you're going to want to be able to pass along to all the members of your family. This as soon as I saw it, I went, oh, yeah, okay, I can see how that could work. Uh, it's a, a way they set you up for a carjacking, and you're going to share it with anybody in your family who drives. 866-TALK-GUN. We'll be right back with more Gun Talk. Gun Talk. 